Hello, my name is Lee Shellnut, and I'm the pastor of the Huntersville Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. That's a mouthful, so we affectionately know of ourselves as HARP. We at HARP welcome you to the podcast of our preaching and teaching ministry. We're grateful that you've joined us. If you're encouraged by what you hear, we'd love to have you subscribe. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we love sharing the glorious good news of the Lord Jesus Christ as we preach and teach through the pages of Holy Scripture. So join us now as we open up God's Word. This is the invitation. Amen. You may be seated. Today we continue in our series in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, and we are at chapter 2, the first three verses. Please give your attention to the reading of God's Word. And if you don't have your Bibles or if you don't want to try to find Habakkuk in the midst of those minor prophets, you have it printed there in the bulletin. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I will take my stand at my watch post, and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say, what God will say to me, and what I will answer concerning my complaint or my rebuke or his rebuke. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. Habakkuk. It's even spelled funny, isn't it? I mean, who would have thought that there would be two K's in the middle and not two B's? But it's, I always want to spell it H-A-B-B-U-K and then U-K. And I get it all messed up. H-A-B-A-K-K-U-K, Habakkuk. I had heard of it growing up. Yeah, I grew up in a Bible-believing church. And if you were a child growing up in a Bible-believing church and you went to Sunday school, inevitably you would find on the wall of the Sunday school class a chart, a poster that included all the books of the Bible, right? And sometimes the poster was of a bookshelf. And you had the different books of the Bible on various bookshelves. And one of those bookshelves, you'd have a bunch of little slender volumes. We know those volumes as the Minor Prophets, right? And so I had at least heard the word, the name Habakkuk. But I didn't know anything about it. And I didn't know anything about it until I was an adult. The first time I ever heard it preached was once again in one of those series of special services at White Oak Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church in Georgia. This time, the minister who came that summer to preach those, uh, those sermons, those five sermons, was a guy by the name of Bob Ingram. Now, Bob Ingram, if you don't know who he is, or who, uh, or he still is, he's, Bob's still alive. Uh, if you don't know who Bob is, he was at one time an ARP minister from Florida, or, but he's probably more well-known, at least at the time, as the managing editor of Ligonier's Table Talk uh, magazine. He was, he was just a wonderful fellow, still is, and he came and he preached, and he preached a wonderful series through this book of Habakkuk. And I was stunned 
yes, he was a good preacher, but was really stunned at how relevant this little book of the Bible was and still is. I think this book is especially relevant when times for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ are troubling or they are uncertain. Bob did an excellent job. And as he preached, he kept on referring to a little book, a little commentary, a little collection of sermons that he uh, suggested that we all pick up a copy of, and that was a collection of sermons uh, by uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. If you've never heard heard of the good doctor, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was actually a medical doctor. Uh, He was a Welshman. He was a medical doctor who then was called into the ministry. He became an outstanding preacher and pastor. His first church was a church down in the south of Wales, pretty close uh, to where some of our missionaries serve there, the Goodmans. Uh, And he he was there for several years until he took a call to be the associate pastor of a very large and fairly famous church at that time in London called Westminster Chapel. Now Westminster Chapel had a famous minister, G. Campbell Morgan. G. Campbell Morgan who also wrote all kinds of commentaries on books of the Bible. And Lloyd-Jones came and was the associate uh, associate pastor uh, of Westminster Chapel. He arrived in 1939 right at the cusp of World War II. Well, G. Campbell Morgan then retired in 1943, and Lloyd-Jones took up the pastorate there and will continue at Westminster Chapel until 1968, many, many years. And as you can tell, his beginning days at Westminster Chapel was during the, they were during World War II. And my favorite Martin Lloyd-Jones story was a story from World War II. He's in the pulpit one Sunday morning. The people of God are gathered there in Westminster Chapel in London during the London air raids by the Nazis. And he's up there and he's preaching his sermon and they began to hear the sirens going. And and once they began to hear it, they know the bombers are on the way. And what does Martin Lloyd-Jones do? Does he say, okay, we better rush and get into the shelters? No, he just keeps on preaching. He just keeps on preaching. And, and then they begin to hear the bombs drop at a distance at first, and then they get closer and closer. And what does he do? Does he panic? No, he just keeps on preaching. And then finally, a bomb dropped so close that it shook the entire building that dust from the rafters came raining down on everybody, including Lord Jones and including upon his Bible that was open on the pulpit. He paused. Did he stop preaching? Well, he, he stopped preaching for a moment. He dusted off his Bible And then he began to preach again. He just kept preaching. And it calmed everyone down. And it's a wonderful picture for us. When bombs are dropping all around us, what's most important? What's going on here? When God's people are gathered for holy worship. We just keep worshiping. We keep listening to the Lord. We keep receiving His means of grace. Lord Jones would be one who would preach through books of the Bible, but he didn't get to Habakkuk until 1950. 
He came to it at the early days of the Cold War and with the advances of communism across the globe. And at that time, many uh, Christians in churches, particularly in the West, wondered and they worried and they fretted and they just didn't get why God was allowing the Soviet Union to just make great strides to conquer nation after nation, to overrun nation for communism, atheistic communism, to begin ruling all over the place, and particularly in countries where the church had been or was and many western christians were crying out to the lord what's going on lord why are you allowing this to happen and then particularly for us in the united states it really got intense when communism took over cuba just 90 miles from key west some of you are old enough to remember those days some of you are old enough to remember the seeming invincibility of the Soviet bloc, of the Soviets, of communists, right? Well, Habakkuk addressed, whether he knew it or not, he addressed the concerns of Christians in London in 1915. And though we face threats that are, are, are different than the Soviets, Habakkuk addresses us. We today in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we too can be bewildered by all manner of threats against it against us, against the church, whether it be a pandemic that basically seemingly shuts the church down for so long, or whether it's Islamic jihadists who, who murder our brothers and sisters, or, or whether more likely it's the growing soft totalitarianism of big tech oligarchs and sexual revolutionaries and overzealous political leaders who would want to be dictators. When things seem to be going off the rails, nationally, locally, or even personally, we cry out, oh Lord, what's happening? Why is this happening? Why are you allowing it to happen? Why don't you put a stop to it? And the book of Habakkuk, this little small book, comes along and it meets us right there. And really, Habakkuk takes us a, a step back and he takes us to something we should really be concerned about. Remember, his first complaint, and he had two major complaints, but his first complaint, Habakkuk's first one, wasn't about the Chaldeans. His first complaint was about the church of his day. His first complaint was about Judah. His first complaint was about the people of God and their wickedness. And the prophet had been crying out to the Lord time and again about the violence and the injustice and the wickedness and the perversion and the idolatry of the so-called people of God that he had beheld in the church of his day. And brothers and sisters, that's a good reminder to us. Before we look out there, before we look out there at all the nasties, all the wicked and perverse people out in the world, before we look out there, are we crying out unto the Lord about all the problems that are found within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Our, the, the song mentioned addictions, our addictions to entertainment, our addictions to doing things our own way, uh, our sexual ethic, which, is, which isn't much different from the world's. Do we cry out to the Lord and offer up laments unto the Lord about the poison and the rot of the prosperity gospel? 
that not only affects third world countries, but affects our country. Do we cry out unto the world about the indifference of so many Christians, about the plight of the needy and the poor and the hungry? Do we cry out unto the Lord on a regular basis about our lack of zeal for evangelism? Do we cry out unto the Lord about our flailing about when it comes to our discipleship efforts? Do we cry out unto the Lord about the problems of the church? Do these things burden us first? Do they burden us first and do they burden us foremost? Or does a cabinet pick of the Biden administration roll us up more? Now, I'm, I'm not saying those cabinet picks are unimportant. But what are we concerned about first and foremost? What are we lamenting first and foremost? Everything that's bad out in the world or what's bad within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Where do we begin? Habakkuk began with the church. And God answered him, right? Oh boy, what an answer. Yes, Habakkuk, I've heard your prayers. Yes, my son, I've heard your prayers. And I'm going to address those sins that you have rightly cried out about. And this is the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring an utterly godless and pagan nation known as the Chaldeans, and I'm going to bring them, and they are going to wipe you out. <laughs> they are going to come, and they are going to punish my people. Yowza. The strangeness, the mysteriousness of God's ways. First to Habakkuk, it had seemed as if God was AWOL. Where was God? He's crying out to the Lord about the wickedness in the church. Where's God? And then when God answers the prophet's prayers, He answers the prophet's prayers by allowing things to get worse. He can still do that. As Lloyd-Jones preached back in 1950, we must understand that it is possible that the forces which today are the most antagonistic to the Christian church are possibly being used by God for His own purposes. The forces that are most antagonistic by the church, God is using for His own purposes as instruments in the hands of the Redeemer. That's humbling, isn't it? For the casual Christian, it seems preposterous. For the Christian who knows or she knows, he knows their Bible, it's not preposterous at all. God does this again and again and again. Again, it's humbling. Our God is sovereign. He is in control. He has a divine plan. He has a divine timetable and everything. And we need to recognize that means Everything, everything is unfolding per His plan. And His plan is the building up and the revealing of His kingdom. And oftentimes, His kingdom grows best when a sinful church is under the chastening hand of the Lord. His kingdom grows best when a sinful church 
is under the chastening hand of the Lord. That's humbling, isn't it? For some, it's not so much humbling, it's perplexing. How in the world could a perfectly righteous, a perfectly holy, a perfectly sinless God do that? And the book of Habakkuk comes along at that point, And it meets us there. It meets us there again. And the book and the prophet himself, they help us out. Habakkuk has, at this point, two perplexing questions, does he not? The first was, why hadn't God acted against the sins of Judah? Why hadn't God heard and answered his prayers against the sins of Judah, the church? And then his second question was, how can the use of wicked Chaldeans be reconciled to God's holy character? How in the world could a holy God use such wicked Chaldeans to punish his people? And remember how Habakkuk addressed those questions. He had a method. Don't miss it. First, he he did this. And it's something we all should do. And sometimes we just get stuck there. Habakkuk stopped and he thought about the problems of his day. He thought about the problems within the church. He thought about the problem of the invading Chaldeans. He thought about the problems. He considered them. He realized them. The the, the problem of a sinful Judah, the problem, the seeming problem of wicked Chaldean armies coming and destroying the southern kingdom. In other words, he was not oblivious to the problems of his day. I mean, if he were living in our day, he'd be watching the television, he'd be watching the news, he'd be reading uh, a, a news website. He would know what was going on. He paid attention. He thought, we must do. But he didn't stop there. He went from thinking about the problems to then acknowledging and considering the character and the promises of his God. He restated to himself the principles of his faith. Basically he was saying, okay, yes, I've got these problems, I've got these perplexing questions, but first, what do I know about my God? And what do I know about His promises to His people. Now, brothers and sisters, there's wisdom there. Don't miss it. Not only do we face big societal threats, and we do. I don't want to deny that. I don't want to downplay that. Not only do we face big societal threats and problems of our day, but we we face individual threats and problems as well. Each and every one of you have, have things that you're dealing with, perplexities and problems and struggles. We face them. Well, first of all, like Habakkuk, acknowledge them. Consider them, think about them, but then fly to God. Fly to God. Fly to what you know of Him, what you know of His promises. State what you know. Rehearse it to yourself. Preach it to yourself. Go over it. Grow in what you know. Grow in your theology. Dear ones, theology matters. Theology is not just for the quote-unquote professional theologians. It's not just for the R.C. Sproles of the world. It's not just for ministers of the world. It's not just for professors in seminaries. It's for you. It's for us. 
Your theology is critical when you're facing the dilemmas of this fallen world. You've got to go back to it. You've got to rehearse it. You've got to state what you know about God and what you know about His promises. And when you do, when you do that and you apply that theology to the problems of your day, guess what? Some of those problems, some of those perplexities are resolved, right? Habakkuk knew, as you read the end part of chapter 1, Habakkuk knew that God was eternal. He knew that God was self-existent. He knew that God was holy. He knew that God was almighty. He knew that God was faithful to His promises to His people. And so he then made the next step as he thought through it. He knew that whatever the Chaldean army would do, it would not exterminate and destroy completely the people of God because God had made His promises to His people. So in the light of those principles about the character and the promises of God, the first question for the prophet was resolved. So God, you aren't inactive. You you have heard my prayer. You are answering my prayer in your way and in your time. You will chasten your people. Remember what Habakkuk said in chapter 1. As he's praying to God, he says, Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you've ordained them, the Chaldeans, you've ordained them as a judgment. And you, O Rock, you have established them, the Chaldeans, for reproof. So the Old Testament church would be chastened, it would be reproved, it would be rebuked. First problem solved, right? What about the second problem? Reproved by the more wicked Chaldeans? And and you are a holy God, Lord? I don't understand. Okay, I understand you are going to chasten your people, but you're going to chasten your people with the more wicked people? I know we're wicked. I know we're perverse. I know we're bad. I know I've been crying out to you about this, and yet you're going to answer it by bringing a more wicked people to raise Jerusalem? Naturally, Habakkuk put it more audaciously and boldly. He said, you who are of pure eyes, he's praying this to God, you who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Oh, that's a bold prayer. He prayed that to God. You see, in other words, Habakkuk's second problem, his second question, wasn't resolved. At this point, he wasn't clear as to what the answer was. He had thought about the problem. He had rehearsed what he knew about God and God's promises. And yet this problem is not resolved in the prophet's mind. So what does he do in this case? Notice what he does. He takes it to the Lord in prayer. And he waits. And he watches. He takes it to the Lord in prayer. He waits. 
and he watches. In the last verse of chapter 1, he prays, he laments, he carries the question to the Lord in prayer, an audacious prayer. Right? And in our verses for today, he waits and he watches. He takes the matter to God and he leaves it there. He leaves it there. Dear ones, there are going to be times when you acknowledge and when you think deeply about the problems of our society and the problems facing and confronting the church, and when you think about personal problems, and you're going to marshal as you should, you're going to marshal your good theology, you're going to marshal your good biblical reform theology, and that good biblical reform theology will only take you so far. And you'll still be left perplexed. Holy God, I don't understand how you can use drag queen story time in public libraries to rebuke us as the church in the United States of America and for our good. I don't follow that. Or how about this? How, I, I don't fathom, I don't understand how you're allowing faithful, loving, and bold Christian voices to get canceled, to get deplatformed, to get sued, to get booted out of the public arena public marketplace of ideas. I don't understand how that helps the church and helps us more faithfully proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or how about this one? Oh Lord, this besetting sin, I've been battling it and battling it and battling it and it doesn't seem like it's dying at all. It only seems like it's getting stronger and stronger. Lord, you know how I can't defeat it. Why aren't you removing it from my life? Why? What are you doing, O oh Lord? When perplexed, we are to cry out. And we are to cry out audaciously and boldly if we follow Habakkuk's lead. But are we doing that? Do you ever cry out about such things? Are we doing that? If you are, praise be to God, the God of grace, who's brought your heart to that place where you're crying out unto Him. But dear ones, that's not enough. It's a great start. But it's not enough. If we cry out in prayer, and as soon as we finish that prayer, we then get up and try to fix everything in our own strength, we miss what Habakkuk has to show us. Yes, cast your burdens upon the Lord, but do more. Wait and watch. Cast your burdens upon the Lord and wait and watch. What does he say? Verse 1, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. 
and look out to see what He will say to me and what I will answer concerning my rebuke. He waits, the prophet waits. He as it were, he puts the problem down in the valley and he climbs the mountain to the watchtower. A year or so ago, the Shellnets hiked up Mount Camomer in the Smoky Mountains. It's a five-mile hike up, up to the Appalachian Trail and to this fire tower. And I think of that as I think of what the prophet's saying. Leave your burdens, leave the problems, leave the perplexities in the valley and hike up the mountain and go to the fire tower. Go to the watchtower. It's what Habakkuk did. We should as well. He turns his gaze, you see, from the problem to the God who is the problem solver. He goes to the watchtower and he waits upon the Lord. On the Lord. Martin Lloyd Jones preached this. We go on our knees and tell God about the thing that's worrying us. We tell Him that we cannot solve the difficulty ourselves, that we cannot understand, and we ask Him to deal with it and show us His way. Then, the moment we get up from our knees, we begin to worry about the problem again. If you take your problems to God, Leave them with God. You have no right to brood over them any longer. If you have have committed your problem unto God and you go on thinking about it, get this, this is Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones saying this, not Lee. If you have committed your problem unto God and go on thinking about it, it means your prayers are not genuine. Ouch. Ouch. That hurts. Because I don't know about you, that's me. Let's wait and let's watch. Habakkuk goes to the what? He goes to the watchtower. He goes to the watchtower for his what? Waiting upon the Lord, waiting for a word from the Lord to come. As, as a person in Mount Cameron Fire Tower, uh, as he's looking to see if there's any fire in the forest. Habakkuk goes to the watchtower and he's looking to see if there's a word from the Lord. He watches. And that tells us something. It's a man of faith. In other words, he expects an answer. He's watching for it. He expects to receive a word from God. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look to see what He will say to me. If you pray to God, if you commit your problems and your perplexities unto God, and you wait upon Him instead of trying to fix everything yourself once you get up off of your knees in prayer, He will answer. He will answer in His way and in His time, but He will answer. And that's what the prophet was doing. He was expecting a divine answer. And notice, because of the boldness of his prayer, he was expecting God to bring that answer in the whirlwind, in a rebuke of of the prophet. Habakkuk knew the story of Job. 
Habakkuk knew what the Proverbs would oftentimes say, that wisdom would be gained through rebuke. And he's anticipating a rebuke from God. He's boldly, audaciously said, God, how, why in the world, how in the world can you use these evil, wicked Chaldeans to judge your people? And he's expecting an answer from God. And he's, he's expecting a rebuke. And so now notice how God responds. Don't miss it. Verse 2. And the Lord answered me. And the Lord answered me. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision waits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Notice, there's no rebuke. There's no Habakkuk, how dare you pray such an audacious, bold prayer to me. Now keep your mouth shut and sit down. Nothing like that. Tenderness. And the beginning of an answer that we're going to see, Lord willing, next time. But don't miss how Habakkuk gets here to this point by God's grace. He cried out unto God. He cries out unto God when he doesn't understand what God is doing and what's going on in the world. He commits his problems in prayer unto God and he leaves them there. He leaves them there. And he waits. And he watches for God's divine answer. And what an amazing example that is to each and every one of us. Don't you have problems? Shake your head. It's okay. You're safe. Don't you have problems? Don't we as a society have problems? Doesn't our nation have problems? What do we do about them? Doesn't our church have problems? We can shake our heads. Yes. What do we do? We cry out to the Lord. We take them to the Lord. We commit them to the Lord. We leave them there and we wait and we watch for God's answer. But as I consider this amazing example of Habakkuk, guess what? I'm convicted by how miserably I have failed. How often times has Lee gotten up off of his knees or gotten off of his chair after praying and started worrying about the problem that I just prayed about? Or started trying to fix it in my own strength? Instead of waiting and studying the Word and hearing the Word and hearing the Word. I've, com I've been convicted of how miserably I've failed. And when I'm convicted of how miserably I have failed, I think about those disciples who left the upper room and walked with Jesus into the Garden of Gethsemane. And you remember when He's going to pray? And what does He say to His dear disciples? What does He tell them to do? Watch and pray. And what do they do? They fall asleep. They fail miserably, spectacularly. They're failures. But guess what? There's someone in that story who doesn't fail. And who is that someone? The God-man, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, as a man, 
on his knees, praying unto the Father, knows the problem he's facing. He will soon be separated from the Father. And he cries out, If you can remove this cup from me, do it, Lord. But not my will, but yours be done. He lays the problem before the Father. He leaves it there. And he waits. And he waits for his own death on the cross. Every time you fail miserably, Christian, remember, Jesus did not. Jesus did not. Every time you fail miserably, remember, Jesus bore that failure on the cross and you bear the guilt of it no more. Look to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, lead our eyes in the perplexities of life and the questions of life and the questions and the concerns we have about this broken and fallen world and what the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, what it faces. Lead all of our eyes to Jesus. For it's in His name we pray. Amen.